In times of great peril, the world must call upon the services of a singular individual. Welcome to the soul of Detroit. I'm waiting to be impressed. The greatest adventurer who ever lived has been recruited to find a madman. He's called John Winslow. To stop him, you must lead a team like nothing the world has seen. <laughs> Thanks. Eyes open, boy. Can't protect you all the time. Mark Falhoff. I just have Cheers. Call of Detroit. Our transportation has arrived. You have four days. And the game is on. You asked in a ride, you're trying to ride my face. It's gone. What are, you doing? what are you doing? What are you doing? That is not paid for by them. That is paid for by the people of Detroit. You might be qualified, MLB. I'm not qualified for this job. Let me tell you something. You want to go right now? Okay? You want to go right now, Al? Hey, kids. It's your old pal, ML Elric, off the streets and in my chair for once. Uh, although yesterday I did get to sit while following Detroit Will Breathe as we traversed this fair city trying to uh, bring some reform and some justice to a city that far too often has too little of it. And the last couple of weeks, you have heard Mandy Wright talk about her experience following protesters through the streets of Detroit. Last week, you heard Mark Kurlianchik talk about uh, his opportunity getting to know Tristan Taylor, one of the leaders of what has been called the People's March, what has been called the Movement. And what is now calling itself Detroit Will Breathe, you can find out more about them on Facebook at Detroit Will Breathe and on Twitter at Detroit Will Breathe. And of course, I'm speaking about Tristan Taylor, who is our special guest. We're going to be getting to Tristan in just a minute. But first, we are joined by our regulars, Mark Fellhauer, who is somehow making this all come together. Uh, at least we hope <laughs> Trying. that's what happens. Trying, just like every week. Nothing yeah, different. and uh, and I'm I'm always grateful that uh, the technical problems are on somebody else's end because my power went out twice last week, which uh, oh, happened fun. not too long after I read that DTE increased our rates again. Wait, so wait, wait, uh, wait, 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 wait for the power wait company. Wait a sec, Mister Solar. Why didn't your uh, your solar panels kick in? So the solar panels are tied into the grid, and when the grid goes down, they shut down the solar panels so the line workers don't get zapped. Oh, that's right. But uh, well, what's the point? And of, of course, them? you know, maybe we can talk about this a little later. Uh, but uh, maybe I can tell a little bit of behind the scenes about how there was some speculation about what role DTE played in my departure from Fox <laughs> Two, yeah. or how it may have hastened that. But we can. We That's can get into that story. a little bit later if you if you remind me because DTE seems to be power from the people. I don't want to keep Tristan waiting because he's power to the people, and that's an important message. And of course, we got Sean Windsor who uh, seems to be rousing from his slumber. Well, well yeah, you you uh, you put me to sleep there, bud, for a minute. So sorry, I'm I'm looking forward to our guests. So the sooner we get there, the better. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure whether those are uh, earbuds or jumper cables, but we appreciate you. Uh, <laughs> we appreciate you being with us and uh, driving the big rig is is Matt Jennings, who will take us through this week in soft history. And then again, the power behind the throne is uh, is Joe Zuber. And the other reason why we're with you today and our Facebook live sponsor is Altus Beer, a Detroit original. So let me tell you a little bit about the Detroit lager that was gone for a while, but it's making a comeback in the greatest city in the world. Altus is the do anything, anytime with anyone beer. 
seriously, I love to grab a case when I go to play hockey, which someday I'll be able to do once we get over all the uh, stay-at-home stuff. I even make sure to have it stocked at home. Fun fact, Altus is the beer. It only takes one to make anyone a 10. Or maybe it takes six. Why, why, why limit yourself? We have a lot of things that started here in Detroit that went away, but boy, I'm glad Altus is back. It's a lager that packs a punch and is seriously smooth and delicious. We'll pick some up today. Now it's on tap in the bars, which are reopened, and the restaurants. Or go to altus.beer to find the store near you that has it on the shelves. I promise you this beer is insanely good, and you will be thanking me for turning you on to a Detroit original that is back. So before we, uh, before we pimp some other sponsors, let, let's get to Tristan because this is a man who I don't know when he rests. I know when he marches. It starts around 4 o'clock, and sometimes it goes till about 10 o'clock. Um, uh, I think, uh, Tristan, one of the things I really admire about the way that you run, I'm going to call it the movement, um, is when I ran a newspaper in college, we had a philosophy that we would publish everything that we received you allow anybody who has anything to say to take the mic and share it with uh, with hundreds of people, sometimes a thousand people, and uh, we really appreciate you making time to join us. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. So yesterday was uh, an interesting turn of events. Uh, I think people who have been following the free press and following other media know that it's been more than two weeks of marching through the streets, uh, talking about bringing about police reform, ending particular programs, specific programs like Project Greenlight. Um, you want to see the curfew lifted, which it has been lifted. Um, you talked about um, uh, the moratorium on evictions being continued. The governor has continued that. And, uh, and you'd like to see some of the charges against protesters dismissed. That still seems to be in limbo. But how do you feel about where things are right now? I mean, the, the movement has been saying a lot of the same things. I think a lot of people are wondering what's next. Where does it go? Yeah, uh, I think the movement is in a really strong position, um, particularly because we have a chance to make some of those demands actually real and concrete. And I think our focus um, has been how do we make sure that all the momentum that's been built up is transferred, right, to uh, ways and places that make these uh, demands something that are actually real. Oh. Um, so we're in a good position, and I think where we go from here is continuing on fighting for the demands that are within grasp, and our ability to win those demands will determine what the rest of the future looks like. How, uh, I mean, you don't seem exhausted. Uh, <laughs> are, are you exhausted? I mean, it's how many days has it been? No, I'm, I'm I mean, absolutely I, exhausted. I, I almost um, want you to get a Fitbit so you can see how many miles you've actually marched totally. I know this, I, it's, it's, it's been, you know, I've, I've been able to have a quote unquote days of rest. Um, uh, most of the people who are marching are far younger than me and bless their hearts. Well, just want to continue to go. Uh, so uh, some days I'm not like out there marching all the time or completely, but that gives me the opportunity because Detroit Will Breathe is an organization we created for the moment, right? So we're still like piecing things together as we go. Like the car caravan protest yep. was officially announced at like 9 a.m. on the Sunday. So right? there's so, so there, I mean, 9 p.m., 9 p.m. Sunday night. And so it was, yeah. Yeah. So here's here's the tough question. Lots of demands. I don't know how the how you prioritize them, um, but how long 
will the marches continue? You know, that's a really good question. And the answer is for as long as the movement deems them necessary. And so far, people have continued because they really want justice. Like they actually really want justice and they are just determined to get it. And they know that our power comes from being out in the streets and people don't want to lose that power. Um, and as far as our priorities on the demands, we voted that out of the 24 that we have, we prioritize uh, 11 of them because they're also things that the city of Detroit can actually engage with and do now uh, without having to, you know, need state legislation and, you know, how that goes. So, so yeah, we'll post those demands on our website too, so people can see the eleven. And there were there are another dozen or so that uh, that the movement's interested in. So you can get a feel for uh, for where folks' heads are, because one of the things that that I'm really big in journalism on organic things rather than trying to use metrics to figure out what people are going to be interested in. We try and cover as much as we can, and when people respond, we uh, we we figure that's they're telling us something. And so I, I really am big on organic journalism and on organic things. This has been a truly organic movement. And, and it was interesting to me having been out there for the Friday, um, that was a separate matter. And, and we had some discussions in the newsroom the other day. It's like, is this the 18th day of March? Is what we, yeah, but it's not the 18th day of Detroit will breathe marching. And, and can you tell us when and why, you and Nakia Renee Wallace decided, you know, okay, we're going to, we're going to step to the front here and, um, and we're going to, I don't want to say take over, but we're going to give this some direction because after the afternoon March on Friday, the 29th of May, things just kind of, it was like confetti up in the air. It was all over the place. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I'm a person, I've been a, a long time activist in the city of Detroit. Right. And so um, one of the things that I appreciate um, and don't want to take for granted is how human activity and actions are finite, right? And so seeing all of this energy, um, I just wanted to make sure that it was uh, brought to its uh, most effective, uh, you know, um, uh, potential. Um, and, you know, everyone was just so excited and they just want to keep marching. They really wanted justice. And I just felt like this was an opportunity to make that real. Um, and I just wanted to contribute as much as I could to that process. Same thing with Nakia. Um, and part of Detroit Will Breathe while we found it is because we also found hundreds of people just wanting to volunteer and do that too. And so we just needed a place for that to take place. Um, and, you know, that's kind of how we're at the point that we're at now. So grassroots is great needs to be organized at one point and uh on charlie laduff's show we had um miko williams joanna underwood there um they are not i don't know how how would i describe this maybe they're not the biggest fans of your uh of your group i didn't know if you had a response to that because my fear is too many splinter groups not working for one goal um, would you meet with them? What, what is your opinion of them and their claims that you're um, an outsider, even though you appear to be from the city? Right. So not only am I prepared to meet with them still, but I've always been prepared to talk to them. Um, me and Miko have known each other since we were 17, actually. So we're no strangers. 
I'm no stranger to him being able to contact me nor me him, right? Um, and he contacted me weeks ago wanting to talk, but then didn't follow up. So we see, you know, King was asked at one point, you know, hey, do you think it's possible to get all Black people to be part of the civil rights movement? He was like, no, I don't need all Black people. I just need enough, right? Um, and so for all the groups that have issues, we also have a ton of groups and individuals who like come to the open mic, you know, set their piece, given their endorsement and their support of this movement. Um, in particular, um, we had a, an event at the Algiers Motel um, mm -hmm. where we had people who were active, you know, like during that time period, address the crowd. And so we're trying to build as inclusive of a movement and space as possible and making sure that the voices who've been here, right, are elevated uh, by all of this newfound intention and activity. Um, and I'm a long-term Detroiter, so I know how Detroiters have been ignored, um, and I want to make sure our voices are heard. Do you get support um, from, you know, national groups? No, we don't get support from national groups. I mean, I think, like, there are some organizations, like BAM is a national organization, yep. mm -hmm. um, but outside of that, um, most of the organizations that show up, uh, Cosecha is also a group that gave us support, and they're a national organization. Um, but uh, th they also are an organization that, you know, operates, like, city by city. Like, they have a national platform, but they, you know, have some sort of autonomy. And so um, we, we, you know, those are the kind of grassroots organizations that we've seen, you know, participate and be a part of this. So we'd love to, you know, obviously collaborate as much as possible with anybody. And that includes, you know, different groups around the country who have been continuing these protests and, you know, state by state. Anything to get it done. If, if you could, if you could wave a magic wand just mm -hmm. and, and two things get taken care of immediately, what would you change? See, I don't like that um, because, like, magic isn't a thing. In, okay. In uh, like, okay. But, I mean, right now, the two things that we're really focused on yes. is making sure that facial recognition uh, technology, that contract, doesn't get uh, uh, um, voted on or, like, renewed, rather. And you're getting, um, you're getting movement and, on that. Yeah. And so we also want to continue to – we want the charges against protesters dropped. Um, but, you know, we want the, the city, like all of those demands are demands that, you know, we're putting forward to see what we think are immediate changes. I mean, you know, the city of Detroit, there are a lot of things. Look, yeah. like what the city of Detroit needs cannot be whittled down to 25 demands. There's just no way that that's possible, right? The question is, what can we get at this moment that creates a situation where we can tackle even further uh, other issues that we have? Well, the two you mentioned seemed seem like two very simple things and, and, and immediate. Sean, were you about, were going to ask something, Sean? I thought uh, I interrupted you there. No, that's okay, Mark. I'm just curious, Tristan, your sense of maybe what has already changed just in the last few weeks. And I'm, I'm thinking specifically of, of our business, the, the media, um, for example, the, the company that owns us, and I'm not sure if you know, this just, just happened a couple of days ago, the company that owns us, Gannett, that owns the Detroit free press, instituted a policy that has long been argued, um, or not argued, but lobbied by for the National Association of Black Journalists, where we're going to start capitalizing the B in black as it refers to communities, culture, and people. And um, so that's that's just happened, and I think largely because of the protests you're leading and that others around the country. Another great example in sports 
um, some of the athletes in college in particular going taking to Twitter, like what happened at Oklahoma State a couple of days ago. The head coach wore a One American News Network, whatever it was, T-shirt, and his star player immediately went to Twitter and said, we're not going to – that's it. We're not going to keep practicing until we address this and do changes. That's happening right now, that, that kind of stuff right now. There's a lot of talk in newsrooms about – we got to we got to get back to some diversity. I know it's an issue with the free press. I'm just curious what you think of uh, how much has started to change just in the last three weeks. No, this is one of the things that um, some of the older activists who spoke at the Algiers Motel was struck by was the familiarity uh, with this movement because they're like we, we we were part of the civil rights movement. We know what a movement is like. We've been waiting for a movement for a long time. And they're like this looks like that movement, right? So we've seen everything uh, from NASCAR taking the Confederate flag down to Mayor Duggan removing the Christopher Columbus bus, right? Uh, So all things big and small um, are changing and it's because um, the movement and and its power, its ability to bring these conversations forward, but also to say to people, okay, now that you're here, because we've been waiting for you to be here to be present, now that you're here, this is how to be here properly. This is how we get justice in a real uh, thorough way. Because I, I think a lot of emphasis has been put on like systematic inequality and, 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 and people are starting to really wrap their heads around it, and which you know to me is indicative of these big and small changes that are happening. Are you, could you could, I'm sorry, real quickly, Tristan, could you imagine two months ago say a defensive tackle is going to go play in the NFL at Florida State, taken to Twitter and calling out his coach and saying, we're not going to practice. Could you imagine that two months ago? No, no way. I couldn't imagine a lot of things two months ago. Like, no, I, I, this is a completely new world. And But that's it the is. power of movements. It's like truly transforming like every facet of life. There are so many things that I just two months ago would have never dared imagine happening. Do you have any concern that maybe that pendulum, maybe there's an overcorrection of things um, and, and then the focus gets off uh, what can really, what really needs to be changed? Um, I guess that leads to cancel culture, which I think we'll get into a little bit later. Do you have any concern about overcorrections? No, because uh, th- we have so much to correct. That's, 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 that's not, a, that's not a, a, a thing, right? And so the question is, right, making sure that we correct things on a thorough basis. Because again, if we're talking about systems, right? Like systemic inequality. We're talking about like every facet of life being permeated by it, right? So how do we not challenge and deal with systemic inequality unless we are challenging every facet, like small and big of society? My, my fear with that though is the messaging and how it's received by other people and they'll tend to fight back on that. Um, you've already seen with Chuba, is it Chuba Hubbard, the running back from Oklahoma State? Yeah. Yes. The, the fight bag is, it's just a shirt. It's just a network. And I, you know, I've mixed feelings about that. Um, really? But, but I, it's a wedge issue, right? And it's a wedge issue that people will latch onto. And it, I think it kind of breeds hate as opposed to actually getting, you know, getting rid of the AI with Project Greenlight or other well, things. So, so here's and I know the thing. Can, One, yeah, I get, I get what you're saying. And I don't think that those small important things take away the big changes. In fact, they are an expression of like why those big changes um, not only need to be made, but like when you challenge um, policies, like in a big way, like the ripple effect is that people feel more comfortable challenging 
like the things that are in media and that they see. Because what it is, is the quarterback saying, this is how we experience it at the moment, right? And so we are empowered by the movement to deal with something that we like are a fort that is hoisted upon us, like at the moment, um, and that we don't have to deal with it in silence. Um, and yeah, so. So I, I think we can solve that problem in Oklahoma. We're going to send him a Soul of Detroit T-shirt. And he can actually it's fine with me. Look, uh, look right and righteous at the same time. But, you know, it's not really so much a matter of wordplay, but you just said a minute ago the moment and, and the movement. And those two words are, are so – they're almost intertwined. And, and I'm curious to hear what you think about the power of the movement possibly coming from a moment that isn't just so much George Floyd's death, because very quickly that's been followed by other deaths. And now we're looking back The free press just had a story about a case in Ferndale from quite a while ago that no one took seriously. So these moments are among us all the time, but I wonder the moment turns into the movement. How much of that do you attribute to the fact that uh, people aren't working People are staying at home. People are looking for a way to get together. People, you know, there's no competition for people at four o'clock. It's not like the boss is checking if they're at the desk. They're not going to a movie. They're not going to a concert. They're not going to a sporting event where these, these various threads have kind of come together. And, uh, and, and, and just in the same way that I guess, you know, little waves come together and all of a sudden you've got a tsunami. I mean, do you think that this would have happened? Man, this is a long question. Um, <laughs> do, you, do you think that this would have happened if uh, we weren't in the middle of a, a coronavirus crisis? Right. I, I mean, to me, it was part of the tipping point. You know, black and brown communities were hit hard by COVID-19, especially in Detroit, right? And to see that video, which... I have to be honest with you. I still have not watched the whole video because I can't. I haven't watched the Aubrey video because I can't either. I don't I don't and, even want to think about that. And, but a lot of people did because they had to, even though they didn't want to. And it was just too much. It was like, damn, we can't get a break no matter what. Even in the midst of a pandemic, our lives are still at risk against police brutality. And I thought that people just thought that that was just too much, that we've been through so much. Like we're, this is literally in this global pandemic, we're seeing an inhumane act that's so egregious that people were just like, this is it. Like I can't stay silent. But but would you be able to get these kind of numbers if people were doing their nine to fives or if they had other other things? I mean, the question is like, do we not only think we could get the numbers, but again, like if it wasn't for that pandemic that already had people, you know, bracing themselves, like would their humanity be open enough and sensitive enough to say like, okay, that's too much. Cause we've seen the videos time and time again in truth. It's not the first video, right? Right. Like you said, you know, around Baltimore and Ferguson, like it's not the first time we've even had explosions in response to this. But I think that this was the first time where people, because we had went through this shared experience, but also this experience that we saw that hit people disproportionately in a different way, that it just opened up people's humanity in a way that had not been previous uh, and, and forced people to act. So I think all of those things are like completely connected. And, and what concern do you have that in bringing people together like this, and we've heard the concern about hotspots that, that, 
the 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 crisis, the COVID crisis, has brought people out, but it may this may also be perpetuating the COVID crisis. Right. A lot of young people, but they're going to go home. They're going to see auntie. They're going to see grandma and grandpa. You know, uh, how much do you worry well, about that? I because- haven't seen grandma, um, and I think a lot <laughs> of people have taken care um, to quarantine themselves. As you see in the protests, not only do people have masks, like we have people handing out masks. Um, and for the people who are concerned about, you know, protesters uh, spreading COVID, they should be concerned with the economy opening up spreading COVID, right? Um, and so, because we've seen places like places like Florida a month ago was opened up, and now there's we're not even done with the first wave. Um, and and so the, to me, it's like you can't compare like people protesting doing their best to keep covered um, with like you know uh, states. Uh, opening up the economy far too early. Um, and um, also it, d- it takes away from what people who are coming to the process are doing individually uh, to be responsible and make sure that, you know, like they're not contaminating their loved ones. Tristan, what is your feeling on police officers? Generic, general feeling on police officers. And additionally, when you see signs at protests that say ACAB for all cops are bastards, um, mm-hmm. what is your opinion on that? Uh, you know, there's a great, uh, um, like, little chant or statement that I've uh, come across. And it's like, all cops are bad cops if the good cops don't stop the bad cops. And so the point is, is that it's not a question of individual police officers being nice or not, right? It's a systemic question. It doesn't matter uh, if the people are nice Uh it's a question of training. It's a question of priority. It's a question of how the institution of policing moves and functions and operates. Do you personally, because, do you know any uh, police officers? No, not really. No. I mean, I, like I know some police officers cause you know, I've been in Detroit yeah. my whole life and like, you know, like, Hey officer, I've seen you at city council meetings. I work at Avalon, sure. so a lot of officers come and they get cookies and stuff. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. Like, <laughs> so, you know, again, I, I want to emphasize that it's not a question of just like, you know, do we personally hate each individual cop? Because the response to protesters uh, uh, was that last Tuesday, as we were challenging the curfew, that wasn't an individual response, right? That was a militarized response uh, that was ordered by DPD and co-signed by the mayor. Like, so it wasn't as if individual officers were just off handle. No, 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 They were following instructions. Are you generally happy uh, with the coverage uh, by the free press? We'll keep ML and your personal feelings about him out of it, but are you generally <laughs> yeah. happy with uh, the coverage of the, of, of what the free press, the news and the local TV stations have been covering? Sure, we got a long way to go because there's still this false dichotomy about uh, the early days of the protests and how disorganized they were and the now peaceful demonstrations. The only difference uh, is is that um, we were able to organize ourselves to make clear, right, the unnecessary um, and overzealous reaction of DPD. Whereas, you know, in the first few days, um, you know, people who were marching 
like we're split up, right? Like mm-hmm. we're ran around by DPD um, as they move the line and basically split people up and chase after people. So you don't know what happened in the corner, right? But like when we made sure to maintain our united presence with each other and make sure that we were marching in the open, it's hard to, you know, tell that story um, because we all see the same thing and experience the same thing. So that that part still has to be worked out, but that's why we're doing this public tribunal uh, Saturday um, to, to make sure that people get to tell their experiences and the actions of DPD in response to the protesters. Two questions off of Facebook. Uh, the first one is, do you, did you poll how many people were paid to march? Were there any paid protesters that you know of? That's a silly question. Uh, here's that's, why that's it's a Facebook. silly question. Know, you know, someone asked me that other question, and i just like to point out that black people have been fighting on this soil ever since we were drugged here. Uh, so we don't need to be paid or have sponsors to fight. That's what we've been doing the whole time. And the other question on here is in the last 24 hours, and this is the claim, the last 24 hours, 13 people were shot in the city, two of them fatal. fatal. How about marching on that? Do you have a response for that? People march about that all the time, including the need to have prevention programs for young people, having jobs and services available to people. So that's not a new question. Um, Again, uh, what the people in Detroit have to say about these things um, and how they need to be addressed, we've actually been talking about them for a really long time. Um, And so thankfully, this movement has created an opportunity for us to address those fully and for people to actually learn how to listen to what we've been saying. So I don't know if the Facebook commenter is still listening, but I'm wondering, is that question about paid protester uh, somehow a reference to all the white folks who've been out there protesting? Are I they questioning assume. whether that it's uh, it's folks who look like me who are only coming out because they're making money? Because it, my sense is, and I, I, I think it's it's fair to say, more than half the protesters are white, but they seem pretty, pretty sincere. And it's uh, it's interesting to see some people who have just they've given themselves jobs. You know, there's there's a there's a team of medics that's out there and I don't think anybody hired them. And there's there's one girl who pulls a wagon every 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 night who's got snacks. She's got sanitizer and she's got two trash cans on the back of the wagon. And she looks like she's by herself and she yeah. comes every damn Night. Yeah. So, you know, it, it likens one to think about the freedom crusades, right? And campaigns of like busloads of northern youth going down south to help people be registered and to fight against Jim Crow. Um, what I find so interesting is after 10 years of begging white people to move back into the city of Detroit, how we all of a sudden have this question of like, oh, well, where did you come from? And do you belong on these streets? How did you find your way here? After like building stadiums for them, building posh restaurants for them, rolling the red carpet, all of a sudden we're like, oh, but are you lost? Building a big ass Amelon bakery for them on Woodward. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, 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 we're here. And, yeah. and it's, no, it's funny how we don't ask questions of whether or not those white people are getting paid to come here um, uh, or, you know, and, and what their activity is. Um, it, it only becomes an issue. White presence only becomes an issue 
when is presence for justice? And that is what is concerning to me as a person who has seen the impact of gentrification and displacement. So are are you concerned that those white faces may diminish the power of the movement? Because I've I've heard some city officials basically say, yeah, the movement, none of those people are from Detroit. I'm not really worried about what they have to say. Uh, I think that's a red herring. And they actually worry too much about what the suburbanites say, which is why they constantly give them and New York developers every (laughs) time they can give them or every abatement that they ask for. So... Tristan, can we get back to that second Facebook question just for a second? I'm curious, how do you stay um, calm when you hear stuff like that? I mean, what he didn't say, or she, I'm sorry, I don't know if it's a he or she, but the implication is, you know, it's black-on-black crime, right? It's like hearing somebody say Chicago. Mm -hmm. It's revealing about the person who's saying it. And it's, uh, to me, and I don't want to jump on this questioner too, too much, but to me, it's an inability to, to look at poverty, and how it relates to crime, right? And, and instead of trying to make it about race. And I'm just curious how much you have to deal with that and, and how do you respond to that, I guess? Because to me, it's kind of a lack of understanding of what's really going on. Well, unfortunately, I have a lifetime of practice <laughs> because <laughs> that question is not a new one. In fact, it, no. it, is, it used to be the prevailing and predominant question that constantly got raised in response, right? And so what this movement has finally been able to do um, is to flip the question and to say, hey, actually, we got to look at what it means to have a policy of policing in urban cities, uh, especially if we're talking about safety and security, because police presence versus safe and secure living like aren't the same thing. And so that's the whole thing around defining the police, right? Is actually highlighting the need to invest in social services, right? Invest in housing, invest in conditions that give people the stability that they currently lack. I I think it's the, the defund the police argument is uh, we could do a whole show on that. We do a whole month on that. But I I think one of the things you, you hear from police themselves is, I don't want to go on domestic abuse runs. I don't want to go on mental health checks. I don't want to deal with people who are homeless. You know, that's not what I'm here to do. That's that's someone else who should handle it. So I think there may be some more common ground there than than people uh, assume. But uh, I thought it was really interesting last week that at the same time there are people marching in in the streets and and saying things about the cops that I will just understate it and say are not very complimentary that there was an officer who died after being uh, basically in a vegetative state for three years because he was killed in the line of duty responding to a call. Uh, you know, what do you, what do you say to people who are like, you know, there are, there are cops out there who have given their lives to try and protect people in the city of Detroit and the movement paints them with a broad brush where, you know, they don't seem to get any credit for the times when they've been killed by the public trying to serve the public or keep the peace. Their families get closure, they get pensions, they get accolades, they get reassurances. Um, Their response um, to police being murdered um, is not the response that victims against police brutality get. Sometimes they don't even get a response at all. And so, again, this is a question of a systemic problem that transcends individual police actions, right? We're talking about a practice that allows for police officers 
who are aggressive, who have previous issues policing aggressively, being able to still serve on the force and receive no repercussions. That is the issue. That's the does your heart go out to that family at all who have lost a loved one? I mean, whether or not they have a pension, whether or not, you know, any of those other things. You know, what is interesting is my heart always goes out to victims um, as a person who is a victim of oppression, right? But I can't let my heart go out more to the ones who are doing the oppression than those who are systematically facing it. By that, what I mean is, if victims of police brutality got the same treatment as officers killed in the line of duty, I might be able to have my heart equally open, but I can't. That that sounds a little hard. I mean, my heart can go out to George Floyd's family and to the officers. And I, I know some officers who the minute they saw the video from Minneapolis, they said, this cop's a killer. He's got to be gone. You know, it's kind of like when Sean Thurman died, like, (laughs) but this cop who died was black, by the way. So it may have been Sean Thurman's grandson. And besides also, you know, when we talk about in the line of duty, like, I don't know what specific Thing they were doing, right? Because there's all this, there's the assumption that we're giving the police that we don't give victims of police brutality, right? Which is that they were actually doing something like that was legit. Like, I don't know what it means to fall in the line of duty. I know that in St. Clair Shores last year, they shot up a young black man, Theo Gray, over 40 times because they thought he killed a dog. Yeah, outside the banquet hall. Right, where his baby shower was at. Like this man was part of his baby shower and he gets shot over 40 times. And what was the response that a dog was able to get more attention than his life? So before we go, I want to see if we can get your thoughts on the city council meeting today, which is Tuesday, um, Yesterday, the march continued. March today, march tomorrow. I imagine march tonight. Uh, yeah, there, yeah. yeah. But um, but you you did a new thing where uh, there was a, a car caravan and and the free press was there and, and followed it and went to uh, three council members' homes to impress to them that I presume we know where you live. Uh, we know that you have a vote and we want you to vote a certain way. Um, you said you monitored the council meeting this morning. What, what, what did you hear about, about that very in-your-face uh, tactic? And, um, and were you able to participate in that council meeting? So first off, I wasn't able to participate. And a number of people weren't able to because what was not made clear was when public comment was actually open and when you had to sign up for it. Um, and so it was very confusing. I couldn't get on via Zoom, so I had to call in. And so I don't see anything, so there's nothing telling me, like, hey, as soon as you come in, if you want to speak, this is what you got to do, right? So all of a sudden I hear, oh, by the way, public comment is closed. Like, there's no, like, <laughs> one-minute warning, right? And so you have, like, a bunch of people, including myself, not able to participate and speak in the meeting. And I don't know if you've ever been to a city council meeting or look at their agendas, but let's just say (laughs) things are never as clear as one would like. Um, And it seems that even city council members are not 
always all the time clear on what's happening either. So it speaks to the need to kind of engage differently with that process. Um, but you know, I heard uh, concerns and outrage about privacy um, and you know going at people's houses. And uh, th there are two things that I would note about that. The first is um, city council members' addresses were never uh, publicly um, shared. Um, and in fact, no one in the caravan uh, but uh, myself actually knew uh, the addresses or the actual house. And the only reason why people knew uh, Spivey's house because he had police detail. Um, Quite a few. Houses, yeah, the other two houses. Um, but it's so funny how we're raising an issue of privacy around Project Greenlight um, and facial recognition. Um, and that these city council people are outraged, just completely outraged, uh, that we had the nerve to engage with public officials at their private homes. Um, and that's kind of the point, is that we have been surveilled on a daily basis in a way that you mm. and your really nice neighborhoods aren't. And so now you have a sense of how we feel, and we hope that that like gets to sit with you for a while. And again, we didn't release their addresses publicly because we actually care about privacy. Um, and it just sounded like a bunch of hogwash hearing people who sign up for all of these policies. I, I should just say, when I was in jail, being, you know, being arrested Tuesday night, did you know they asked me for my DNA? In what form? DLC was like, hey, like, you know, like, we want to get a swab sample. And I'm like, excuse me? Did they tell so, you why? Like, did they say for what? No. The, the guy didn't even know. He was like, oh, I think it's related to your charges. But I wasn't the only one. I've seen other, when I was in there, I saw other, you know, people in the detention center being asked for their DNA. And I'm just like, well, what's this? Because, you know, they're like, oh, this allows us to do deeper background checks. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, individual people's Privacy are um, uh, challenged and, you know, like thrown to the side in a way uh, that's atrocious. Um, and it's funny to me how members of a city council that allows for those things to happen are all of a sudden concerned about privacy. And their, their addresses actually are a matter of public record on their affidavits of identity. So, you know, I mean, it's, and, and no, actually a couple of them live in gated communities. So if you'd gone to those places, you'd right. hit a wall. No, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was false outrage. It was false outrage. And again, if I hear a city council person who have voted for Dan Gilbert to get billions of dollars to build fucking condos, excuse my language. That's one okay, it's the internet. Asking the question, these outside agitators, where do these white people come from? I'm gonna lose it. I'm gonna just lose it because I'm like, what do you mean where they came from? You know the answer to it. You've been rolling out the red carpet. It's, 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 it's false outrage. Before we let you go, when I saw you yesterday afternoon, I, I think I said, what's next? And you said, I gotta go figure it out. Um, <laughs> what is next? It's almost twenty four hours later. What's what you, what's what's happening? I just know that we're looking to work with uh, other uh, communities and organizations uh, to um, move the marches um, throughout the city um, because we want to again make sure that we're highlighting voices that have been there 
Um, and uh, I, again, this Saturday, um, we're going to be doing a public tribunal um, around uh, the incidents of police brutality against protesters. Um, and we think that's going to be important. And in the next couple of days, we're going to be like there, we might be joining a, a rally that's happening in St. Clair Shores earlier in the day. Uh, we'll definitely be joining some Juneteenth celebrations that happening around uh, the city. Um, so we're, we're, so that that's the best answer I could give. It's still not a good one, so I'm still working it out. Okay, it sounds sounds like a stay tuned. We will have yeah, uh, we'll have updates for you here and also at the Free Press. You can find out what's going on with the the movement and other protests at freep.com. It's not really affiliated with the podcast, but for people who want to keep up on things, we we should uh, let you know it's going to be there. And I I think I may be there Saturday night for the tribunal. I uh, I don't know if Nikia Renee is going to be one of the prosecutors, but I've I've seen a look in her eyes at times where I just say <laughs> I throw myself on the mercy of the court because I don't see a lot of mercy there. So that that is a a a, a damsel of destiny there. That, that that stern look is fueled by compassion, um, and the years of lack of compassion shown to people. Like oh no, works with young people, so she yeah. Yeah, if if you if you follow her on social media, you can see that she is someone who's very passionate and who has been trying to make a difference for a long time. And I think uh, this may be uh, where uh, the the woman meets the moment and. And, and the, certainly the man as well. Tristan, um, Tristan, where can people follow you on social media? What's the preferred route? Uh, so me personally, right now, it's just... Or the movement. We got Facebook. So it's Tristan Armand Taylor. That's how you can find me on Facebook. Um, and Detroit Will Breathe is on every social media platform. We have Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. So that's how you can follow. Gotcha. Yeah, and, and folks, you should know we've invited Mayor Duggan to come on the show. Perhaps we'll invite the chief of police to come on, too, because we want to represent all viewpoints. Uh, DPD has been saying to me that facial recognition technology is not part of Project Greenlight. I'm going to be digging into that a little bit more. and We'll, we'll let you know. But certainly uh, the movement continues. Uh, Tristan, we appreciate you making some time. We hope you're getting some rest. And thanks for being a guest on The Soul of Detroit. Of course. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks, Tristan. Yeah, thanks. All guests appearing on ML Sola Detroit receive a 12-pack of Altus Lager. Oh, he loves beer. Anything before we move on to the debate? Yes, I, I got some people who are making this show possible who we are overdue and thanking. That would be uh, our realty sponsor, first and foremost, Lindsay Broadwell. So we've all been locked up, and you're probably realizing that your house is way too small, so why not give a call to Lindsay Broadwell? When it's time to move into a new house, whether you're buying, selling, or both, you need to contact Lindsay Broadwell. Your home is one of your most valuable investments, and that's why you need an agent you can trust and who knows the business inside and out. Lindsay started at Hall Financial. Now she's an expert in real estate. Lindsay will make sure you get the most out of your house and that everything goes smoothly by finding your home that fits your lifestyle. Buyers, sellers, especially first-time buyers, make sure you contact Lindsay at broadwellhomes.com or 248-767-7767. That's 248, a seven, a six, a seven, two more sevens, a six, and then a seven. She's a licensed realtor at Remax Nexus. That's broadwellhomes.com. And when you find that dream house or you get out of that nightmare, whatever way you're going, you you're going to want to give Hall Financial a call because they care about the community, which is why they're working at home, but they're working just as hard as ever. It's a great time to look at your financing options, and that's why many people are refinancing right now. They're basically taking their debt 
and getting more money in their pockets because they're getting better rates. If you haven't refinanced in the last year, Hall Financial is here to help. Now's the time to lower your monthly payments and keep some extra money in your pocket as we go through these incredibly turbulent times. By refinancing, you can probably skip a couple payments, which is always nice. So why not see if you can save some money or cut your term? If you're worried about coronavirus, don't. They're working from home and appraisers can check out your house from the curb. So uh, this business goes forward. Hall Financial is the fastest in the business. Go to our webpage and click on the logo to get started or dial 248-308-5000. That's 248-308-5000. Ask from a man, Dan Morrison. Hall Financial, lower payments, better options, more personal attention. NMLS 146-7435. And before we move on, I want to tell you about one more sponsor who's helping you get through these times with a little more money in your pocket and maybe a brighter financial future. If you're facing a big financial decision, such as purchasing a new home, a new car, or maybe even something cosmetic, it's important to know how this decision could affect your current and future financial goals. Luke Nowacki and his team at MFC Pinnacle Wealth Strategies can help you plan for all your financial goals, both today and into the future. Call Luke today at 248-663-4748. That's Luke Nowacki, 248-663-4748 for a complimentary consultation to see if your plan aligns with your goals. Securities and investment advisory services offered through Royal Alliance Associates Inc. Member FINRA SIPC. Royal Alliance Associates Inc. Is separately owned and other entities and or marketing names, products, or services referenced here are independent of Royal Alliance Associates Inc. I won't change my mind on anything, regardless of the facts that are set out before me. I'm dug in, and I'll never change. Ray Nutt, Ray Toe, Ray Nutt, Ray Toe, Ray Nutt Infinity, Ray Toe Infinity, plus one, no! You know, when, when I see Luke is with MFC, I, I always think, he, he probably thinks of himself as MFIC. M- which um, people in Detroit Mark Fellhauer in charge? Coleman Young. The mother friend in, in charge. charge. Yeah, Coleman Young. Which is what they used to call Coleman Young. He is... Large and in charge, and a man of strong views. Uh, long stories well told. Yeah. Uh. That so, um, uh, we talked a little bit about the culture, cancel culture with Tristan. Uh, didn't really dive into that discussion because it's worthy of a full discussion, which brings us to our great debate. The Christopher Columbus statue was taken down outside City Hall. This time it was by the mayor of Detroit acting on his own as opposed to people coming to topple it or a uh, protest. Although there have been people who protested in front of the statue on what what has been uh, Columbus Day has been rechristened Indigenous Peoples Day. Uh, Last week I drove by and, and there was a sign hanging off the back of of old Chris that uh, call them, uh, I think, a, a raper, a colonizer, things that kind of kind of things you don't want uh, people to call you. And um, so clearly there's some strong feelings about that. But in general, I, I'm concerned, and, and I will tell you, I, I got into a debate with one of my daughters about Christopher Columbus, and he's not, not, as, not as benign a dude as you may have thought uh, in your elementary school history class. But one of the things I can, I'm concerned about with cancel culture is – if we think we're going to make society better just by taking down a statue, it feels to me a lot like we're letting ourselves off the hook, right? Because the statue may be gone, but some of these problems that we're so reluctant to deal with are alive and well. Amen. I, I mean, it, it, and that's just, a great debate. it just seems like another wedge issue that 
separates the people that feel very strongly they should be down and the ones I, I just that want them to stay up. I it's a statue to me. It doesn't I mean doesn't matter to me if it's up or if it's down. Really, I'd rather see some more um, big changes made that would actually fix something. And you heard Tristan talk about it. And he thinks that that is part of the problem. I don't know what you think, Sean. Well, uh, there's statues that have been going down, obviously, for a while. It's picked up um, a lot of momentum in the last few weeks. I'm trying to think, where is it? Richmond, Virginia, maybe? That's Yeah, Monu- uh, yeah. Monument. The monument mm-hmm. of uh, Robert E. It's, Bob Lee. Uh, Bobby Jefferson Lee. Davis is down. Yep. Robert E. Lee. I mean, it's, it's the same idea of NASCAR banning the Confederate flag, right, from its uh, from its races. Well, I... What's that? I was just going to say the Confederate ones, I think, are a little different. But then you get into, and I'm I'm no fan of Columbus. Um, I, I think he's a he's built on a myth, built on a book by Washington Irving. But what about Jefferson? What about Washington? Slave owners? Do those come down too, Sean? You mean the Washington Monument and the uh, yeah the Jefferson Monument? Renaming Washington D.C. There's a lot of stuff named after him. The University of Virginia. Is all Jefferson. Well, here, here's how I would define it. And I don't, I mean, this is just from my own perspective. I don't want to speak for uh, lots of other folks. I think with Washington and Jefferson, um, they represented a larger ideal. And you can understand the impact, imperfections. Well, that's a soft word for that, actually. But the, the, the problems relative to their time. I mean, obviously, the, the owning slaves, exactly. Somebody, the Confederates represented one thing, right? Mm-hmm. Now, folks in the South will argue this. I am uh, a lot of Southern myself. Uh, other argue otherwise, but they represented one thing, right? They wanted to succeed, but to protect slavery, to protect the economic engine of the South. It's really that simple. Yeah. And um, and then since then, I've tried to whitewash it behind this states idea rights. of states' rights, yeah. which is just absurd. Which but is the states' the rights. The noble struggle. <laughs> exactly. So yeah. to me, there's there's got to be some nuance in that Washington is the first president we understand Jefferson had a lot to do with a lot of really important ideals. It just didn't apply to everybody. I don't want to diminish that at all. That's problematic, but there's still a larger picture that's important worth remembering uh, because there were some really, really important ideas in this country. It's just taken forever until now. Well, not until now, but taking a long time to apply them to everybody. I would make it, that's how I would make the distinction. Well, the, the Confederate statues to me are, versus Christopher Columbus is a lot easier call, right? Yeah. Because they took up arms against this nation. And they lost. Yeah, and, and Christopher Columbus, I guess you could argue, he took up arms against the people who were made this nation up before it was formally, you know, incorporated and all that other legal jargon. But but my my concern is that that there seems to be a lot of outrage uh directed at at inanimate objects and, and, you know, take the, take, take yeah. the conserve, take the, the Confederate stuff down. That's real easy to me. Put, put it in a museum, have a, build an educational program around it. No problem. In fact, I've, I've read Robert E. Lee didn't even want statues put up and, you know, and we're using his land mm-hmm. as a, as Arlington national cemetery. So thanks for the, the land, Bob, but, but Columbus is, is, um, yeah, you know, I, I wonder if there's a way to repurpose these sites where maybe you leave Columbus up there and then you build something around it. Because when you take the statue down, you kind of forget about Christopher Columbus and you don't even get to talk about 
you know, the other part of it. And, and uh, I just, I, I'm very concerned. And, and President Obama spoke about this too, is that when somebody makes a mistake and we just immediately eliminate them, can we, can we move forward as a people where all that happens is folks are looking for an opportunity to saw you in half if you make a mistake. Now, you know, I'm not saying Columbus made one mistake or blurted something out <laughs> during a weather forecast, but um, in fact, I think he made a lot of mistakes like go left, go right. I mean, the guy thought he was in India for Christ's sake, but, um, well, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned that when we're, when we're, when we're tearing stuff up, if all we leave as a whole, are we better off? Yeah. What does well, it, it all, it all depends to me. It, it's it's a matter of stories, right? And we're and whose story we're going to tell and from what perspective and what did he discover? What did Columbus discover? He didn't discover anything. There were people Maybe already syphilis. Here. Yeah. There were people here. They discovered it. And that's the point of all of this. And I think when you're talking about the, the Columbus and the myth, I think it, it, if we're going to celebrate something in a public sphere, it has to rise to a certain level. Otherwise, put it in a museum and we'll study it. The swastika is in a museum. It, it doesn't belong on the side of a soccer stadium in Germany, right? Like the Confederate flag was at Bristol or Talladega or MIS out here in Brooklyn, Michigan, 60 miles or, uh, away from where you are in Gross Point. So it's... um. <laughs> that's that was a microaggression yeah i know it was i know it was and you'll forgive me for that because I, i'm looking know, for I, a safe place and i misspoke and that's the thing we we need to forgive each other we need to allow people to make mistakes absolutely misspeak learn evolve um, we don't apologize forgive all of that's critical but celebrating something in a public sphere to me has to rise to a different level what about well, what about keeping the statue up and putting an interpretive center around there? Because you know the other thing go. is, when when you start going back in history, you know who did the indigenous people? Who were the indigenous people before the indigenous people? I mean, did, did they wipe out some cavemen? I mean, you can take this to a point where you pretty much eliminate it. To there's some single celled organisms. We're like, well, they're cool. Yeah, we all came out of the horn, and we not the horn, but the the single continent that was basically the Africa, and we've. And we spread out. You're right. I mean, I guess the woolly mammoths were here first, right? I mean, in in that sense, to your point. But I just think I'm, sure, I'm not sure that was my point. But it's <laughs> interesting. Should we just put a statue of God up? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, you took it back to amoebas. I stopped at woolly mammoths. I mean, right? So that's uh, I'm letting evolution. Yeah, it, it, you know, it's one has a food vacuole. The other one has great tusks. Is, is there a fear yeah. though? Uh, okay, so let's take these uh, statues down. Let's rename things. Is there a fear that it's going to be like? Everything's solved because you've heard people say, well, you know, we've had a black president. Everything's fine. What, 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 isn't there a fear of that? It's just a, it's just visually something that is tangible and people can go that stays or that goes as opposed to solving a bigger issue of, you know, uh, reforming uh, government, reforming police. I think they're well, linked. I'm I, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Mike. Do you, though? Are they really? Oh, that- absolutely. They're linked. It's easy for us to say. I went to the University of Texas. Uh and this was an issue last week at the University of Texas. You're talking about renaming buildings, right? Some of the black football players there said, look, they're not going to participate in, in helping recruits come and alumni gatherings until several of those buildings are named. I walk by those buildings, and I don't think twice about it. I think, yeah, you know, whatever. They walk by it, and it's, like enough, it's, it's, it's a different visceral reaction because the story being told on that campus in, in large parts of America is from the white point of view. They're trying to change that, and that's what matters, and that's the conversation we're having right now. I think it's absolutely linked. Well, I think that um, 
going to Franklin, Tennessee and seeing that Confederate soldier statue there is a reminder of our past, whether it's good or bad. I think it's a good reminder for people that maybe don't agree with, with the way history has gone. And when that's not there, maybe that reminder isn't there anymore. But a statue is a celebratory thing, right? That's the problem. It's like seeing a statue of Joseph Goebbels in Frankfurt. It just, it just wouldn't happen. Right? Is that why you went to Frankfurt? <laughs> no, I went to Frankfurt to get in the round car to go to Han, where Han Air Force used to be. But okay. uh, yeah, you know. But, but I, you know, I, I want to go back to the thing you said about the tex- Texas, the Texas anthem. There were students at uh, SMU down there as well who got very upset at a 9/11 memorial because of the visceral effect that it had on them. And that's different to me. But go ahead. No, I, I'm just saying. Who who decides? in your mind who decides what is okay and what's not okay be it a celebratory statue or a memorial of the past i think we decide together and i think that's what we're doing right now and it's not easy i don't think we are deciding together and we're 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 duking it out yeah pardon me i don't think that necessarily it is getting decided together i think a lot of times you see it you know ripped down which i think is more a symbol of the fight which, once again, I don't really care if a statue is, uh, is up or down. I understand the, the symbolism of the fight. I just don't know. I don't know. I, I, don't, I think it divides more than it brings people together. Uh, uh, yeah, but you're talking about a certain segment that's never going to agree with any of that anyway. And they're never going to try to put themselves into another person's perspective. They're just not. And that's okay. And, you know, that's okay. I think folks who are trying to move us forward in this way are, are trying to get people that are in the middle and on the fence, not people that, that are never going to come over anyway, right? I mean, it's just it's, it's the nature of politics, too. So you're trying to move the, move the needle. I hate that phrase, but you're trying, to, you're trying to move it a little bit. And that's what's going on right now. And you're right. A lot of people are going to be upset about it. Well, I've learned a lot more about Columbus because of the debate about whether his bust should yeah. stay up on Randolph and Jefferson. So there's something good to come out of that. But when that bust is gone, does the discussion go away? So I'd like to end the debate by proposing a solution. Until we figure it out, whether you're a Confederate soldier or Christopher Columbus, we should add something to your pedestal. And that's a big L <laughs> for loser. Oh, man, the geeks have inherited the earth. Did I do that? What a dork. Does him wanting to play with us again mean that he's turning into a geek? Speaking of uh, Professor Goebbels, we have a doctor who may have uh, got his medical degree on the uh, Joseph Mengele scholarship. I'm not sure. I don't I don't want to overstate things, but our, our geek of the week is State Senator Steve Huffman of Ohio, who was fired from his job as a physician for asking whether African-Americans or the colored population have been disproportionately affected by the novel coronavirus pandemic because they do not wash their hands as well as other groups. Now, Allison Chu of the Washington Post reports that Huffman raised the question last week during a hearing on whether to declare racism a public health crisis. Huffman, who was an emergency room doctor, and I presume still is somewhere, wanted to know why African-American communities are being hit so much harder by the virus, posing the query to Angela Dawson, who's executive director of the Ohio Commission on Minority Health. He says, I understand African-Americans have a higher incidence of COVID chronic conditions, and that makes them more susceptible to death from COVID. But why does it not make them more susceptible to just getting COVID, he asked. Could it just be that African-Americans or the colored population do not wash their hands as well as other groups? 
or wear a mask or do not socially distance themselves? Could that be the explanation for why the higher incidence two days later, he was fired from his job as an emergency room physician. Uh, Team Health, where he worked, said Dr. Huffman's comments are wholly inconsistent with our values and commitment to creating a tolerant Hmm. and diverse workplace. Huffman defended himself, insisting that his language was not intended to be derogatory. He added that he thought the phrases people of color and colored population were similar. (laughs) People of color would have been better, but they seemed to be interchangeable, he said, before stressing repeatedly that the question had been rhetorical. The fact that he didn't get that is proof at least of one thing that we do know that in this case, some of his best friends aren't black. And that is why Dr. Huffman, you are our geek of the week. The kids are soft. I don't care for that guy. Me neither. Too soft. I'm going to pretend like you need to make my dick go soft. Just because he does soft history doesn't mean that he's not a hard guy. And uh, by that, I mean a hard man. Not you know, There's no turgidity issues here. Uh, joining us well, now. Let's, let's not uh, say that's not true right now. Yeah. Know. Oh, From the cab of his big rig where we assume that he's working a lever, we can only see his torso, is <laughs> Professor Matt Jennings with This Week in Soft History. Look nice, very sharp in that new hat, my friend. Yes, looks good. I love it. Lightweight, love the mesh, fits just right. Available Man. now at drewandmikestore.com. It keeps me cool, too. Let's, let's hear the horn. Uh, I, I mean, have... let's hear the horn. Anytime you're in your truck, oh, I want to yeah. hear it. I'm, I'm that. Let's hear the horn. Ch- I'm that. <laughs> Bump. <Hooray. laughs> um, okay, so I apologize to anybody if I don't sound great. I've been working with new um, microphones, and hopefully this is working out okay for you guys. Yeah. Oh, it's, oh, good. It's, yeah. it's good for me. Is it, is it time for a cigarette? <laughs> yeah, sorry. Did you, did you sorry. see the fear in his face there for a second? Uh, for I don't a know, second. no one answered. It feels like I just told a joke. I know. Well, Sean is, Sean's just disappeared. He, he doesn't even want to hear your segment. Oh, I, he's yeah. actually he's actually taking down a bird feeder because it offends seed. <laughs> oh, he's back. <laughs> oh, no. Sorry, he might, he might, he, what was I doing? <laughs> I might. said you were taking down a bird feeder because it offends, uh, it offends m- millet. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. That's a, that's a great way to put it. You know, if you're white and you get offended, then all of a sudden you're, you know, you're going to over-exaggerate and make everything offensive. But uh, he, God forbid you change your mind. You know what Sean's favorite bird is? What? The swallow. I was going to say the bluebird. <laughs> The uh, woodcock, <laughs> woodpecker. You, like, uh, you like an eagle, you know what I mean? Uh, false the, sense of false sense of security and the the titmouse. Yeah, right. Go after little mice. <laughs> Matt, save us. <laughs> yeah, Matt. Okay, brother. Let's, this is your cue. Let's start our lesson, guys. I'm glad we have a history uh, class on this show now. In uh, 1846, Pink tail hawk. No, God damn it. <laughs> Uh, you know what? I don't know why this didn't come to me sooner, but you're a fucking peacock. Right? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, he is. Well, speaking of, that reminds me of, of my favorite new wave song. Why can't I be emu? Oh, by the Cure. Yeah. Any, yeah. Speaking you know. of peacocks, here's my new piece. You ready? Yeah, we yeah, did all the time. I forgot, I forgot Matt was we're here. Stealing his show. <laughs> <laughs> all right. In 1846, the U.S. and Canadian border was established by representatives of Great Britain and the United States. 
The border provided Metro Detroit youths with easy access to some refined Canadian culture like the Windsor Ballet. Not to be confused with the Sean Windsor Ballet, which is something entirely different. My ballet is me running and giving myself black eyes. <laughs> no, your ballet is when you saunter off during room 7609. I've already figured that one out. Yeah, you know what? I true. couldn't wait uh, that long this time, so I'm going to be forced to stay and listen to Mike's uh, <laughs> musical musings. Oh, boy. He uh, he wanted to make sure that he didn't create a ballet in his pants called Sean Lake. Say <laughs> <laughs> so it's Sean Swan, Swan, Sean, Emmys. We'll, we'll like fix it in post. More like <laughs> no. a pond. We're going to continue. Continue. In 1885, the dismantled Statue of Liberty arrived in the New York Harbor after being shipped across the Atlantic Ocean in 350 individual pieces and packed in more than 200 cases. It was built and dismantled in France, shipped to the U.S., and reassembled in New York, taking from start to finish over 10 years. And it still stands to this day as a shining example of why it takes so long for women to get ready. Damn. I like that. I, that was I want to applaud, but I'm afraid I'll get hit silly. in the back of the head. <laughs> She's not paying attention. You? She's not paying attention. What's behind the flag? Who's not paying attention? <laughs> Uh, any women that are in ML's house? Do we, yeah. yeah. Do we have any women listeners? Nah. Not anymore. Hey, Sean, you'll <laughs> like this one. Not in 1983, anymore. the space probe Pioneer 10 departed the solar system in search of new life that didn't include new wave music or old-time detective stories. Ooh, I like that. It was a shot. I, so they clearly were not looking for intelligent life. I like that. I thought you were going to play off the whole probe thing, but uh, mm. good for you. See, it's called comedy, it, and it's called surprise it is? your listeners. Yeah. I like it. Okay. Well, I, like I don't you. know if it's called comedy, but... It's an All attempt. Right, finally, it's an attempt. Good news. This is such a fucking train wreck, I swear to God. I know. That's what we okay, like about in it. 19, 1994. You guys will like this one. O.J. Simpson oh, was yeah. arrested. For the murder of his ex-wife, Nicole Brown Simpson, and her friend, waiter, Ron Goldman. Later, he was represented by a dream defense team, which included Robert, Robert Kardashian, whose daughters went on to superstardom, earning billions. Anyway, it became known as the crime of the century, and so did the murder trial. That her the kids made billions was the crime of the century. <laughs> Fucking give up! I'm not doing any more of these things. No, I'm with you on that one. I'm with you on that. I'm just I'm just wondering how many people would have died if there was a stay-at-home order back then. You know, the doorbell rings, OJ pops out, hacks him to death. You know, oh shit, it's Amazon. Yeah, OJ's really rebuilt his image well, hasn't he? Where are you headed to, Matt? In that truck, you're going to Franklin, Tennessee. Uh, I'm going to drive off a bridge as soon as I get off, get off with you guys. Uh, you Actually. Run up. The Free Press had a great story the other day by Phoebe Wall Howard, who um, who who revealed that that the uh, relaunch of the Ford Bronco yep. is slated for OJ's birthday. Yeah, I think it's brilliant. Yeah. That's brilliant. No, no, isn't it slated for when he was on the freeway? No, it's it's his birthday. Yeah. Oh, okay. And, and which you know doesn't really doesn't really matter. That's going to get attention anyways because it's a Ford Bronco. And a lot well, of you people, know it'll happen. 
you'll hear that you'll hear him go, "Hello, Twitter world." Yeah, and guess what happened today? And he's gonna yeah. just have a great time with that. I'm sure they're probably worried that he'll buy one because then 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 it becomes a bad look. Would uh, Matt? Would you and Mark like a statue of OJ? There is one. Um, I. I kind of do, but then I flushed it down the toilet. Remember, he had that statue, and then um, his son uh, busted it up. Did not he know? also yeah. had that statue oh, called the right. Heisman Trophy, which I think is true. is gone, too. Yeah, that's a really interesting story, is missing Heisman. Well, nice attempt, Matt. I, oh, I nice attempt. That was so patronizing, Mark. I, I, don't, patronizing. I don't know if nice ML's going to renew you again, but we'll see. <laughs> Well, this Good week job, of soft Matt. history is history. <laughs> Until next week. Good job. See you again. There's an all-night party in room 7609. And you can dance together all night if you've got the time. This week in Room 7609, where we take bands that you maybe never heard of, new wave bands that deserved some attention back in the day, where we're trying to get them their moment in the sun, or we take great new wave bands who had some really quality tunes that never got their due. This week, I will say, probably doesn't fill either box. It is a band that, uh, that you've probably never heard of, and it's a tune that's not terrible. But there's a reason why I've picked Siona Dancing with Bitter Heart. And we're going to see if the boys can figure it out at the end of the song.
what what did, what do we think about the music? Was that Ricky Gervais? <laughs> that's <laughs> he figured it out. That's what wow. we think about the music. So, did anybody know that before he was David Brent, before he was uh, a controversial host of awards show, Ricky Gervais was the lead singer of a new wave band, and apparently also went through some sort of physical metamorphosis. Oh, the, like only reason putting I, weight on? the only reason I know that is real quickly is because of the Graham Norton show, which is a really fun show, the BBC show, right? He was on one night, and Graham Norton showed an old photo of him from his new wave era. And then yeah. I, I thought of that photo when I saw the video. That's the only reason I know that. So a, a little, a little um, uh, behind the scenes on why we picked Siona Dancing. Um, originally, I was going to play a song by Erasure, which was was suggested by one of our listeners, but I was not able to find that nomination in time for the show because we had a, a last minute uh, uh, bit of a change up uh, for folks who saw the tease that we were going to be talking about how to save you money, your auto insurance, our guest canceled at the last minute. And by the last minute, I mean like 30 minutes before we were supposed to start the show. Tristan Taylor was kind enough to agree to come on the show. We moved him up, in mm-hmm. the uh, in the uh, rundown, and so uh, so we're kind of once again throwing it together because of circumstances beyond our control. But that seems to be the story of our lives these days. So many things happen beyond our control, and we just try and make the best of it. So we hope that uh, we hope that we've succeeded in that endeavor. Um, we appreciate your feedback. Nominations for Room Seven Six or Nine. Nominations for Geek of the Week nominations for the great debate. In fact, I was nominated for geek of the week for picking on Fox news hosts and for my coverage of the different protests. There was a a sense that I was more critical of the protesters uh, in Lansing than the protesters in Detroit. Although I think uh, if you go back and listen to those shows, you'll hear that I had good things and critical things to say of both groups. I'm sure there are some people who will think that we went too easy on Tristan, but uh, I, I think we we wanted to hear what he had to say, and and we did ask him some questions about some issues that I think revealed some things that people might not have known or may have only guessed at. His response to how he felt about the uh, the dead officer was pretty. Yeah, I gotta tell you, it was it was pretty cold, and I think it it it, it provides some pretty, insights pretty into awful. how um, how much yeah, he feels about this issue. Uh, this you know he is. He is very, very single-minded and and focused on the issue of uh, of police reform and police brutality. So hopefully, whether you, we thought you thought we gave somebody a, a pass or not, uh, there was some insights gleaned. Um, we uh, above all want you to keep coming back. We appreciate you being with us. We hope that we're helping make these times a little easier, at least a little more entertaining. Uh, we appreciate if you would subscribe to the show so that when a new episode is available, it pops right up that you would rate the show, let us know how we're doing, and that you share the show. Um, We will post this on Facebook and Twitter. Facebook makes it hard for us to get to the website, so please please listen to us on iTunes, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, any platform where you can find quality listening. And uh, if you're foolish with your money, we'll we'll take your donations. (laughs) Mark, what what do people do to, to shovel... Fat stacks of cash on us. Super, super simple. MLSoulOfDetroit.com and a little donate button there. And I believe, if there's not yet, there will be a link to to the store if you want to buy any of the hats 
t-shirts and any of the other fun stuff. We do uh, want to to participate uh, in our donation program, and we'll make it worth your time too. We have a program called Camisole, where if you donate at least twenty dollars, we will read a message, just about any message on the show. Brian sent us another uh, donation because he was he couldn't believe that we read his Camisole message last week, the one that began "Mark cares nothing about injustice," <laughs> and he swears he is fun at parties <laughs> well, I'm not sure we're going to give him a chance to prove that but it's I'll, good I'll let to anybody know, prove so. that that's a good point to be proven I'll take yeah, on the so, challenge and we just want to thank you for sticking with us um, please support our other Red Shovel Network shows that's the No BS News Hour with Charlie Duff, No Filter Sports with Eli, Denny and Bob and the Drew and Mike podcast which is available every day for something like 25 hours a day so make Pretty sure much. Feels like you it. check it out Mark is <laughs> transitioning to that momentarily you have been listening to the Red Shovel Network. Happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. If yeah. you got kids and you're not a dad, you're just a chump. So think about it. All right. That was deep. Do your part. And Cyrus, get us the hell out of here. Can you dig that? Can you dig it? Can you dig it? So what are we dealing with? Unstoppable assassins. Eyes open, boy. Can't protect you all the time. That indestructible! Red Shovel Network invites you Take the world. to discover an adventure. I don't know how to drive myself! In a league of its own. Surface! MLL Rick. I doubt you measure danger the way I do. Soul of Detroit. That was naughty. 